Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 1. Our text this morning is found in verse number 9. I want to read verse 9 and 10. Actually, the main part of the message has to do with verse number 10. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Corinth, says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust, that he will yet deliver us. You know, as a general rule, regardless of the subject, we believe that we're right. After all, if we didn't think that we were right, we would change what we believe. But believing you're right about something doesn't mean you that you are. Because if our perspective is wrong, our persuasion about that subject is going to be wrong. So to get the matter right, we have to see the whole picture. It reminds me of the story I'm sure that you've heard about the three blind men that uh, was trying to describe an elephant by, by just feeling of it. And uh, one of the blind men touched its tail and said, well, it's really easy to describe, said, it's like a rope. The other blind man touched its trunk, and he said, well, it's, it's like a, a big tree branch, but it, it doesn't have any leaves on it. The other man touched the side of the elephant, and he said, well, it, uh, the, the elephant is like a wall. And, and so all three of these men, from their perspective, drew conclusions about the elephant, and uh, all were right in a sense, but actually totally wrong. That's the way it is when it comes to the religious beliefs of a lot of different people. They think they've got it all figured out whenever they've not really looked at the the big picture. So to get the right perspective, and that's what we have to do, or we draw false conclusions, uh, we need to go to the Bible. You know, if you're wrong about some things, it's not really a big deal. You can be, you know, wrong about your financial advisor and lose all of your money. Well, you know, that's bad, but there are worse things than that. You can be wrong about the particular doctor that you go to, and it can affect your health, and that's bad, but uh, there are things worse than that. But if we're wrong about the matter of salvation you know, it can't get any worse than that. We cannot afford to be wrong about salvation. Now, this morning, I want you to get the big picture, because most of the time, whenever we think about salvation, we're actually talking about just one part of it. And there are actually three tenses to salvation. Notice verse number 10 again, where Paul says, Speaking about what God has done in saving us, he said, who delivered us. Now, that is in the past tense, right? And then he says, doth deliver. 
that is, he's continuing to deliver us. That is in the present tense. And then he said, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. So that is in the future tense. Whenever we think about salvation, we need to think about how it relates to our past, how it relates to our present, and how it relates to our future. And what Paul is talking about here is the fact that we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. That is our justification. And then he tells us we are being delivered from the power of sin. That is our sanctification. And then he tells us that we will yet be delivered from the very presence of sin, and that is our glorification. So with that in mind, I want you to ponder with me the proper perspective on life. I want you to think about the past and about the present and about the prospect that we have as the children of God. First of all, looking at the picture of our past, As I said, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. The very moment that we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, glorious things begin to happen. And to really appreciate what all happens at that moment, we have to take into consideration what we are without Christ. And the Bible describes that very clearly for us. The Bible tells us that we are depraved, and by that I mean that we are morally corrupt, that we are perverted, that we are defiled, and that's true of every person by nature. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So that's what we are by nature. So whenever we receive Christ as our Savior, we are automatically forgiven of our sins and cleansed as a result of our defilement. The Bible says we're depraved, but the Bible also says we are dead. Talking about spiritually now, which means that we're separated from God. And that, again, is true of every person by nature. They are spiritually dead. But when the Lord saves us, we are given spiritual life. The Bible also tells us not only are we depraved, not only are we dead, but the Bible describes us as being driven, that is, taken captive by the devil at his will. We hear people all the time talk about people exercising their free will. We talk about people making choices, and indeed they do. The problem is, before a person is saved... They are under the control of of Satan and the world and the flesh and the devil. And so they're not at liberty to do whatever they please because they're like a puppet on a string and they're being driven, as it were, by those three factors in their life. But when God saves us from the penalty of sin, all of a sudden we are delivered from that bondage. The Bible tells us that the natural man is defeated. The Bible says that he is doomed, that is, he is condemned already. He is deceived. That's why the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that have not received the gospel. The Bible describes us as being dumb like sheep. And it says, every man has turned to his own way. And the list goes on and on. So, listen, it is no small matter when we think about the fact that we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. 
Like the old song says, the record is clear today for he washed my sins away. The old account was settled long ago. To think that now those of us that were dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we have life. We think about the fact that we were defiled and now we've been cleansed by the precious blood of the Son of God and we consider all that God has done for us. But listen, that is only one aspect of our salvation. That has what happened regarding our past. But secondly, notice he says, not only has he delivered us, but... He says that He doth deliver us. So not only do we look at the picture of our past, we look at the provision for our presence. In other words, that we are being saved from the very power of sin. That is our sanctification. So when I consider my present position in this world as a child of God, I need to think about two things. Number one, what I am and what I have by virtue of of who I am. And whenever I look at what I am in Christ, the Bible tells me that I've been chosen in Christ. That has to do with the means of our salvation, that we are chosen in Christ, that He is the means by which we are able to come to God. The means by which that we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the means of salvation, so we have been chosen in Christ. We've been forgiven of our sins. Think about that. Forgiven of all of our sins. Not just our actions, but the very perverse thoughts within our heart. All of the deeds and everything that we've ever done. Listen, this is the past, present, and the future. All of our sins are now under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven. We've been accepted. The Bible says He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Those that were rejected, those that were condemned already, have now been accepted by God the Father. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Son. We have been sealed and quickened by the Spirit of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been justified by the righteous declaration of God. We've been freed from bondage, empowered by the Holy Spirit, kept by the power of God, assured of heaven, blessed beyond measure. So this, listen, this is what God is doing. This is what has happened to us by virtue of the fact that we put our faith in Christ. We're being delivered from the power of sin. We're not there yet. And I think we're all very much aware of that fact. We've got a long way to go, but, you know, like the fellow said, I'm not what, uh, you know, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And we're not what we're going to be either, by the way. Because what we have, even at this present time, is a peace that passeth all understanding. The Bible says we have joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. We have a love that passeth knowledge. We have a life that is abundant and free and grace sufficient for every need, supplies for whatever need we have, exceeding great and precious promises. And then we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. Now, listen, I'm not talking about things that are reserved 
reserved for a special group of super saints. Everything I just mentioned on that list is available for every child of God. You ought to have a peace that passeth all understanding and joy unspeakable and full of glory and all of those things. Listen, that's what God intended for you, not sometime in the future, but right now. And He's in the process of delivering us. And there's this struggle going on within the heart of each and every Christian. As Paul described in Romans chapter number 7, the things that we wouldn't do, we find ourselves doing. And over and over again, we find ourselves failing. But listen, it's not because we must. It's because that we make a choice to do it. The songwriter said there's victory in Jesus, and listen, that's for every child of God right now. So looking back at our past, we see we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We'll never have to answer for any sin whatsoever ever again. But we're being delivered from the power of sin. Thirdly, notice he speaks about the future and he says that he will yet deliver. So now we're looking at the promise concerning our prospect and the fact that we will be saved from the very presence of sin someday. Turn in your Bibles just a moment over to Romans chapter number 8. And here in Romans 8, as the Apostle Paul speaks about the difficulties of life, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with several verses in this chapter, but sometimes we overlook things that we need to be aware of. And notice what he says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now, Paul is simply reminding us that someday we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. We've already been saved from its penalty. That's a done deal. It's over. Something to never be repeated. We are justified. We are being delivered from the power of our sin, and that is our sanctification that God is working out in us, but we will yet be delivered from the very presence of sin. And notice what Paul says. He says, the whole creation groaneth. In other words, it's a picturing the, the entire world, all of the created beings having been affected by the fall of man. In other words, sin has brought a curse upon all of creation. And anywhere you go in all of this world, you'll see the effects of sin. And people are groaning. There are wars and rumors of wars. There's strife and hatred and bitterness. There's disease and suffering and pain and all of these things. And, and Paul is assuring us here that one of these days... One of these days that all of that's going to be over. Notice he said we're waiting for the adoption. Waiting for the adoption to wit, which he describes as the redemption of our bodies. Now, we've already been redeemed in the sense that our sin debt has been paid for. 
that all of that is something that God has already done in the past. But there is coming a future redemption. You see, God's not through with saving us the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. That, listen, that's just the beginning. He declares us to be delivered from the penalty of sin. He starts a process whereby the Spirit of God is delivering us from the power of sin. But then He assures us that there's coming that day and that time where we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. That's why I keep saying that for the Christian, the future always looks bright if you look far enough ahead. And most of us don't look far enough ahead, do we? Most of us are looking at the troubles of this old world. Most of us are looking at the, the pains and the problems and all of the difficulties of life. And we need to listen. We need to look past our failures of the past. We need to look beyond all of the problems of the day. And we need to consider all of the promises related to our prospect as a Christian, understanding that God's not through with us yet. There are glorious things to come. And He assures us that as a result, as a result of having been delivered from the penalty of sin, as a result of that, we have a residence in heaven. And Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, you've heard people say, well, you know, I don't believe in all that heaven and hell stuff. I think whenever you die, you know, it's just like, it's just, just, you're just like a dog. You just go back to the dust and that's, that's the end of it. Well, you know, you can believe that if you want, but that doesn't make it so. You know, I've got better evidence from my point of view than you do for yours because you're just making a guess. You've never talked to anybody that's, you know, come back from the dead. So, I mean, how would you know? But we have the evidence of God's Word that we have a residence in heaven. That's why we sing, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. So we have a residence in heaven. We have rest from our labor. You know, I don't think I ever get tired of the work of the Lord but a lot of times I've got tired in the work of the Lord. And I'm sure the same thing's true of you. I see Brother Barry, you know, on Wednesday night, a lot of times limping along out there, and I know that he's in pain. I know that he's hurting and it's difficult and what have you. And, you know, week after week and year after year goes by and uh, serving the Lord as the Awana commander and... Uh, you know, we we just keep wondering how much longer our bodies are going to allow us to go on. Well, the good news is there's a day of rest coming for all of God's children. Amen? A day of rest at long last. Not only rest from our labor, but there are going to be rewards for our service. You see, a lot of folks do things that other people don't see. There are a lot of people that play a part in the ministry of this church, for example. They don't get any they don't get any publicity. I mean, they're not up here behind the pulpit so everybody can see them. They don't sing. Nobody can hear them. But behind the scenes, whether it's, you know, working in the nursery, whether it's typing out the bulletin like Bev does, whether it's working in the office like Brother Ron does or the sound room back there, or whatever it, whatever it is, understand your labor in the Lord is not in vain 
because God is going to reward you for what you've done, for your service here. Then there will be a relief from our suffering. There will be a reunion with our loved ones. Boy, isn't that going to be something? We, we, we talked to you know, a while ago about those that have passed on just during this last week, those that have already gone on to heaven. And, and no doubt many of you, as you think back over the years, you can think of dear loved ones that have gone on before. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know in your heart that God's people never meet for the last time? That someday you're going to see them again and you're going to be with them again. And, and there's going to be this glorious reunion with all of God's people. Not only the people that you've known, but people you've never met. Think about it. Think about being in heaven, and there's Peter and James and John and Paul and all of the apostles and all of those. There's Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Joshua, and the list just goes on and on and on. And in that day, we're going to know as we're known. You won't have to introduce me to Moses. I'll know him whenever I see him. You won't have to introduce me to Peter or to Paul. I'll know them when I see them, in that day there will be this glorious reunion with all of God's people. But listen, there's going to be a resurrection of our body. This is what Paul is saying. We're waiting for the adoption, and that word means the placing of, the placing of a child in a family. And he's talking about the placing of God's people in their proper place. Jesus said, remember, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. That's the hope that we have, that there is going to be a resurrection of our body. Some smart lake says, well, you know, what about those that died at sea? They threw the body overboard. The sharks ate it, and it just, you know, it just, you know, just... You went through the digestive tract and you got the picture. I mean, what happened to that body? Well, that's no problem for God. If God could take a handful of nothing and make something out of it, God certainly knows how to gather up the cells of that deceased body and again and to raise that body and to give it life in a glorified body. So that's no problem with God whatsoever. I don't know why you would worry about that for one second. It got, you know, it's no problem. God's got it all under control. And He's given us a promise that we're going to be raised from the dead. And then it tells us that there's going to be the revelation of Christ Himself. And I love the way the Apostle John put it in First John 3 and verse 2. He says, we shall see Him as He is. You know, right now we're just guessing at what the Lord looked like. None of us knows. None, none of us has any idea as to what he really looked like. You probably wouldn't recognize him out here on the street. wouldn't look at all like you think that he ought to look. You know, we've tried to capture his likeness in, in songs. We've tried to capture his likeness on canvas and sculptures and things like that. But in that day, we'll see him as he is. Not only will we seem more wonderful than that, we're going to be with him in that day. That's what makes heaven heaven. That's what makes heaven wonderful, to know that we're going to see him, that we're going to be with him. But John's not through. John goes on 
and says we shall be like Him. I mean, how can it get any better than that? To be like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I keep saying for the Christian, the best is always yet to come. Because regardless of how good your life is, regardless of how bad your life is, it's going to get better. In fact, ultimately, it's going to be absolutely perfect. Meanwhile, until that day comes, Paul says... We are to set our affection on things above and not on the things of the earth. In other words, we're not to be sidetracked. We're not to be distracted by the things of the world. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of things in the world that, that can distract us if we're not careful. You know, we start thinking about our health and our wealth and our fortune and fame and everything under the sun. And all of a sudden we find ourselves distracted from what is really most important. And that has to do with that which is coming yet in the future for the child of God. So many times we look at death like that's going to end it all. No, no, that's just the beginning. Because your salvation not only relates to your past, it not only relates to your future, but it affects your prospect for the future in every sense of the word because one day we'll be in His presence and be like Him and with Him in that glorious day. Now, as Christians, when we think about our prospect, we rejoice greatly. You know, it is, it's amazing for us, but it's awful for the unbeliever. You know, we talk about the best is yet to come for the Christian. Let me tell you, it's all bad news for the unsaved. For them, there is nothing but torment, because for eternity they'll be separated from God Himself. The good news is that it doesn't have to be that way. The good news is that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures and He rose again. The good news is that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I mean, that's the good news. So regardless of your position, regardless of your condition, who you are or what you've done, the wonderful thing about it is Christ can be your Lord and Savior And this salvation that we've been talking about this morning, that can become yours. Our hope can become your hope. Wouldn't it be sad to think about somebody sitting here this morning and after talking about all of this, how that we've been delivered from the penalty of sin, we're being delivered from the power of sin, we're going to yet be delivered from the very presence of sin And for those that are here without Christ, none of that, none of that is true of you. You're still living your life under the penalty of your sin, and you've got to answer for that. You'll stand before a holy God for your final condemnation. Not only that, but you have no power whatsoever over your life in the present. That is that you're living in bondage to sin itself, and you certainly have no hope of the future, but Christ can change all of that. I was sitting at my desk this morning and and just thinking about the hope that the Lord gives. 
And all of a sudden, I began to think about an old song that whenever I was just a boy, and it meant really nothing to me other than Ferlin Husky sang it, and he was about my favorite singer back then. And the meaning of the song didn't matter all that much to me back then, but it sure means a lot now. Whenever I think about Brother Wedgworth passing away and... and and Billy's mother-in-law passing away and different ones. And the fact that, listen, one of these days, and Bev and I had some dear friends who used to sing, and one of, their, one of the songs they always sang was, When I Make My Last Move. When I Make My Last Move. Someday, folks, we're going to make our last move. We, you know, we assemble here every Sunday morning, and people hear the Word of God and they have the opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior. And then they get up and leave and they walk out without ever knowing what it is to have the hope that we enjoy. And listen, I want you to understand and you need to realize that you're only one heartbeat, just one breath away from a devil's hell. I mean, that's the bad news. The good news is it doesn't have to stay that way. It can all change. And for those that are Christians, listen, we don't have anything to complain about. And I was sitting there at my desk, and before I come out, I, I started thinking about that old song that says, My latest son is sinking fast. My race is nearly run. My strongest trials now are past. My triumph has begun. Oh, come, angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings. To my immortal home. Oh, bear me away on you snowy wings. To my immortal home. You know, whenever, whenever you, whenever you think about Whenever you think about that glorious hope that we have, and I, I sat there and I couldn't remember all of the words, and I, I run a copy, and I'm not going to sing the rest of it, but here's what it says. I know I'm near the holy ranks of friends and kindred dear. I've brushed the dew on Jordan's banks. The crossing must be near. I've almost gained my heavenly home. My spirit loudly sings, the holy ones, behold, they come. I hear the noise of wings. Oh, bear my longing heart to Him who bled and died for me, whose blood now cleanses from all sins and gives me victory. I want you to know the victory that, that we Christians have can be your victory here this morning. You don't have to live a defeated life. You can be forgiven 
the penalty of your sin, delivered from that, you can be set free from the bondage of sin even now, and you can have the hope of heaven in your heart by simply putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that this morning? If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, would you this morning say, well, preacher, I, I, that, that's what I've always wanted to do. I want to know I'm going to heaven if I died. But, but I've just got some questions and I don't understand. Well, Brother Kenneth is right here or I'll meet you here and we'll take the Bible in our hand and we'll spend however much time that's necessary to help you. And before you leave here, that you'll know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God. Would you do that while we stand together? Father, we just pray this morning that you'll bless your word, that you'll use it to speak to hearts today. And Lord, for that dear soul that's nearest hell, that they had not let another day go by. Lord, that they had not let Satan get another victory. But even right now, wherever they are, that from the depths of their heart, they'll call out and cry unto you and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. For we beg it in his dear name. Amen. While we sing together, would you come this morning? Calling for you, not just your neighbor. He's calling for you this morning. Jesus.